Welcome to One Step Ahead. Technological innovation and the need to live more sustainably are profoundly reshaping how we travel, work and play. In this podcast, business leaders and industry disruptors break down how they're adapting to these trends, preparing for what's next and helping to build a brighter future for our planet. One Step Ahead is brought to you by Amundi ETF, the European champion of exchange-traded funds. To learn more about how you can keep your investments ahead of change, visit amundietf.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as investment advice and or an offer to buy financial products. Hello, I'm Libby Potter, and in this episode of One Step Ahead, we're going to deep dive into the electrification of transport and the critical role battery makers have to play in the future mobility value chain. While electric vehicles or EVs often steal the headlines in the new mobility narrative, there's a greater challenge at play, the rapid scaling up of battery production to meet the growing demand for EVs. And with a net zero future at the forefront of the minds of politicians, business leaders and investors, turning this ambition into reality will heavily depend on the transport sector's ability to lower its carbon footprint. The good news for the future of our planet is that competition to build large-scale battery production and recycling plants, so-called gigafactories, is heating up, as more and more battery makers seize the enormous opportunity ahead. Joining us today are two guests who know a great deal about the subject, Benoit Lemignon, CEO of French battery manufacturer Vercor, and Diego Pavia, CEO of EIT Inno Energy, an accelerator of sustainable energy innovation funded by the European Union. Hello and welcome. Good morning. Morning. I want to start with you, Diego. Um, what can you tell me about EIT Inno Energy? Why was it set up and how is it contributing to a more sustainable future? So EIT Energy was created back in 2010 with uh, a clear goal to accelerate entrepreneurship and innovation in sustainable energy. And if you look at those three words back in 2010, they were not very common usually words. But anyway, uh, we were founded back in 2010 by 24 shareholders coming from industry, research and academia. And since then, we have been scrutinizing 5,000 innovative early-stage business cases in sustainable energy. Out of those, we have invested in around 450, 150 write-offs and 300 going strong. Strong meaning that uh, those early-stage uh, innovations in sustainable energy today, they are selling big. Out of those 300, we already have got uh, three unicorns that, as we all know, it's uh, not only that the market cap is, well, is about 1 billion, but those unicorns are industrial, so they drive growth, jobs, and innovation in Europe. And that's the key thing, because for transforming the sector, you need scale. And scale is when you have those new companies or spin-off or existing corporates that are at the size that can change and the rules of the game. After 11 years, we and it's relevant for the transfer mobility sector, we have around 50-some uh, assets across all the value chain, uh, from uh, mining to recycling. And that's key for the transformation of the transport and mobility. It's not only about gigafactories, but it's also about all the upstream and downstream that is required for Europe to be a key player and to change from ICEs into electromobility. So in terms of energy for transport and mobility, can you explain why there's a need for innovation in this space, particularly in the context of reaching net zero emissions? 
Well, the, the CO2 emissions at worldwide scale is, uh, as we all know, around 33 gigatons per year. Uh, in Europe, it's around 5 gigatons per year. And uh, there are three big contributors. Uh, first is industry, so steel, fertilizers, cement, and so on. The second one is transport, and the third one is uh, energy or electricity generation. More or less all of them contributing with a quarter of the CO2 emissions. So transport is, uh, yeah, is uh, something that is at our hand to transform into what we call the electrification of the transport mobility uh, activities. If uh, we look at uh, uh, why, uh, what is the main contributor in the transport area, uh, today is no, no doubt uh, the burning of the fossil fuels that uh, power our engines, be it uh, passenger cars or be it lorries. So uh, Tesla showed us the way that A, it can be done differently. For Europe, it took, it took uh, yeah, a, couple of, uh, uh, a couple of three, four years to understand that not only makes sense from the environmental point of view, but also it makes a lot of sense from the business point of view to electrify uh, the, the transport sector. And uh, if I just, uh, uh, something that I always tell my mother, for her to understand what does it mean to electrify transport. Today, as a Spaniard, I'm importing uh, gas and oil and I have to work until the 12th of March to pay that bill, importing gas and oil, uh, just for powering my, uh, my economy, be it transport industry or, uh, or, uh, or electricity generation. The day I will be electrifying transport, instead of working until the 12th of March to pay that import bill, I will only have to work until the 5th of February. So it's one whole month of wealth that will stay because we electrify the economy. Makes it easy for even me to understand, let alone your mum. Benoit, <laughs> coming to you, um, but staying with the topic of mobility and transport, what was your vision for Vercor when you set up the business? And how did EIT Inno Energy help turn that vision into reality? Yeah, at the very beginning, I was personally deeply involved in how to decarbonize our economic system uh, since uh, 2007 when I left Airbus to join a consultancy activities. And from that period of time, I was being struggling to find not disruptive, but at least very impacting projects that could scale and transform our economy. And uh, when it comes to mobility, there is no such thing as electrifying everything as much as possible and as fast as we can. And to electrify, it uh, requires two or three different things. The first one is um, that the car manufacturer moved to electric uh, vehicles. The second need is to have an important local production of batteries because uh, it, uh, it's useless to move to EVs to decarbonize this mobility system if we have to import the batteries from elsewhere and particularly from Asia. And the third reason is that the need to have uh, uh, companies and uh, industries capable of uh, producing those batteries locally in the right timeline. All of that uh, was clearly also uh, um, started a few years ago now by Northvolt in Sweden, in the northern uh, countries of Europe. And there is an obvious need of more Northvolt and more projects such as Northvolt in other parts of Europe. So the beginning of that was somehow uh, an encounter between myself as an entrepreneur and InnoEnergy, willing to accelerate that sphere all over Europe and uh, myself being a, a former entrepreneur in the field of clean energy, I was willing to have a more impact and try to be a faster in the industrialization of those activities. Um, with Inno Energy, we spent time to uh, fine-tune the market, to identify the needs, to uh, elaborate our strategy, and uh, importantly for Vercors, the partnership strategy, which 
is a way to answer to the big conglomerates that we do see in China and also in, in, in Korea. If we want to play big, we need to go fast, but we cannot overnight build a company of 10,000 persons. What we can do is to leverage very important partnerships and to make it happen with a concentration and a focus at our level on the manufacturing of green batteries um, to enable uh, the acceleration of the market downstream. And to get a, a sense of, of how much that market's accelerating, um, in its 2021 electric vehicle outlook, Bloomberg New Energy Finance projects that electricity demand under the net zero scenario will be 65% greater by 2050, reaching more than 8,500 terawatt hours. So what are the challenges of meeting that huge increase in demand, particularly for car makers? And how does Vercor intend to overcome them? Yeah, I, I would like to give a simple figure also because, as Diego pointed out, it's always important that our grandmothers can understand. Uh, in France, <laughs> I mean. we are consuming uh, 500 terawatt hour of oil on a yearly basis. And this is mainly for mobility. We are going to move to electric mobility in the next 5, 10 and 15 years. And I can tell you it's going to be faster than everyone expects. And we do see that now happening. For that, we will need to produce 100, okay, one-fifth, 100 terawatt hour of electricity more. This is 20% of the French production. It's, it's, it's not a, a, a difficulty. It will not prevent the, the strong push to mobility. On top, when you put few millions of EVs in the market, it enables a fantastic uh, facilitation for the grid with a technology called vehicle-to-grid because we, those vehicles being plugged will enable uh, to smooth the variation of solar and wind production. So that will be uh, an enabler to increase the volume of renewable in the grid, which is, which is extremely important. Um, we don't expect, as of today, a very big difficulty in terms of uh, material supply. We are trying hard to have as much supply locally as possible with lithium, cobalt, nickel. Um, what we do see difficult is to uh, be able to have the right level of ambition at ESG level, because at this stage, the upstream value chain, mainly the mining guys, but also the refining uh, uh, companies, have a little, some difficulties, I would say, uh, to be as transparent as we expect and to be as engaged as we do expect them to be in terms of ESG. It's not exactly where they come from, but we do see also a strong interest coming from that sphere to, un to embrace this, uh, this journey together. So you mentioned um, lithium, the raw materials that are needed to make the batteries. Um, and a report by the U.S. Department of Energy indicates that lithium ion batteries are only collected and recycled at a rate of less than 5%. So how do we avoid swapping from a model based on the exhaustion of fossil fuels to a model based on the exhaustion of these raw materials, the ones that are associated with batteries such as nickel, cobalt, manganese and copper? Yeah, I would, I would like again to, to, to give a little image, which is the following. When you uh, fill up your tank of your car today with gasoline, uh, what uh, at the, the end of your travel will stay in the tank is basically nothing. And the gasoline we have been burnt in the engine, uh, leaving anything but a few kilometers of, of journey and some heat and CO2 and H2O water in the atmosphere. So you have a dissipation of this raw material. When you use, when we will put in a battery, nickel, cobalt, manganese, copper, there is no dissipation at all, which means that after 10, 20 years, all the materials are still there in your battery. Every single gram of lithium is still there. 
So we are entering, and this is a revolution for me, we are entering a completely circular economy, which is something that has ne never been seen before. The reason for that is that the value of those products in the battery is even higher than the value of those products coming from raw materials because they have been already treated, already cleaned, and then can be used again in new batteries. Today, there are no such volumes on the market to recycle that justify the investment. But it's coming, and we do see that now Northvolt has invested. We will invest also in a recycling facility with partners very close to our premises because, first of all, we have to recycle some scraps in the process, but we will also be able to fill our value chain with not new materials coming out of you know new mines but coming out of existing batteries so that will completely change the vision that we do have today of course to start with we collectively collectively need to produce raw lithium raw cobalt and raw, raw uh, manganese and there are the volumes that we need it will not very it will not be that impactful at at a global level and once this is done for ever will be able to recycle them and use them again because, as you know, the market, even if it's big, uh, we have one billion of cars over the years today, it's not infinite. So we are not going to destroy the earth to produce uh, EVs. So we've talked a bit about the challenges involved, but, but let's look at the opportunities. What kind of tailwinds are helping drive the adoption of electric vehicles? I think the first one, uh, if you haven't uh, driven an EV, is that you need to drive one. Because the first one is that an EV is such a cool thing, you know. It's it's exactly the same as when uh, the iPhone came out. Everyone was still having a Nokia 3310 and uh, found out that uh, an iPhone was exciting. And now no, nobody will come back to a, to a simple... Uh, touch phone again. I think it's the same with an EV. Once you have, uh, you have uh, jumped into, uh, into using an EV on a daily basis, you can never come back to an IC. It's just not possible simply because you don't want to have your hands full of, uh, of gasoline when you fill the tank. You don't want to have the oil to be changed and so on and so forth. So I would say that first of all, EV is much cooler. Then um, it's of course also much more cost efficient because uh, you don't need again to have uh, that heavy maintenance and you probably know that any EV today has a lifetime that is much more important than the lifetime of, a, of a, a, an ICE car. And we do see that few Tesla cars, because probably they are the, the, the oldest, have reached more than 1 million kilometers without any, any, any difficulties. So that is the first tailwind. But the second one is that now the general public is also understanding that uh, this is the right way to go. Of course, in Europe, it has been pushed very hard by the authorities, leveraging what we call the CO2 emission through the WLTP norms. And this is absolutely helping the market. Of course, um, there is a little bit of a difficulty with the price because an EV uh, is priced today higher than, uh, than an IC. But when you look at what we call the TCO, total cost of ownership, there is no doubt it's, it's super efficient. So those needs are, are really uh, driving the market and making it accelerate. Um, we do see also that more and more products are coming uh, online. I mean, uh, uh, in 20, uh, 2010, when Inno Energy started, there were probably one or two EV on the market. Now there are 50, and I think in the next three years, uh, probably uh, 50 or 60 will come in line also. And in March, we'll, uh, we'll have the fantastic Megan EV coming out of uh, Renault. It's uh, the first full EV car uh, with a new brand. You have seen also the ID3, ID4 uh, that Volkswagen is now selling. And those cars are really, uh, really uh, answering the needs of the consumers for their various needs. So I think now, um, now the market is full speed. Just one last word. Uh, as a battery manufacturer, we see the market uh, being multiplied by a factor of 10 to 20 between now and 2030. 
which is uh, something that in industry is, is rather unique. And this is why we launched Adventure. And this is why even if we don't know where we will be in 2030, we are very confident that we have more demand that we can serve. And uh, for us, this is extremely positive. Now it's about execution. So, Diego, with that in mind, um, you know, Vercor is obviously one of the companies that EIT, Inno Energy, has invested in. But um, as we were hearing from Benoit, it's it's somewhat of a gold rush or a green rush. There, there must be tons of competition for funding from hundreds of these clean tech startups. How do you actually decide where to prioritize and allocate the capital? <laughs> That's a good question, Libby. Uh, today, I would say that uh, uh, the market is supply-side market in terms of that, uh, as I was sharing before, uh, the investors' money that has to shift from, uh, let's call them brown investments today into green investments, and mobility will be one of them, in the next decade is around $100 trillion. That is a staggering number. So it means that, hey, there is enough money. What, are, what we're missing is good projects where to deploy those monies. And uh, as uh, Benoit was saying before, it's, uh, the, the pie is uh, growing at a speed that has never seen uh, in our lifetime, and it's about execution. So to your second question of what are our key criteria to select the cases that we invest, the team and the ability of the team to balance a strategy and execution is the key factor. Uh, so again, I use the word teams. Benoit is the founder of Vercor, but has got around him the right team to execute his ambitions that are yeah, uh, uh, through, 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 through the roof. Team number one. Number two is that regulation will be enabling. And uh, uh, Benoit also touched on the circularity of uh, this uh, new uh, mobility. And security will be based on the traceability that everything that we do from the mine to the recycling and back into the new battery has to be traced. And regulation today, the European regulation is ahead of the pack compared to the other big economies, but is an enabler. It's not an obstacle for this to happen. That will be the second one. The third one, of course, is technology evolution and technology innovation. Uh, today, uh, if there's only one thing that I will wish is that we'll be able to charge our cars in, uh, the, in, in, settle, in 20 minutes, in five minutes, because then the customer experience, the user experience compared to ICE will be completely yeah, uh, uh, game over for, for ICE. And so technology still has to develop a bit uh, for making uh, the small obstacles to be a fully adopted uh, a new type of commercial products fully visible. Number four, money, already uh, said that uh, uh, the credibility of the business case when we uh, check them out and the business case will be in the money, it's uh, the fourth of the six dimensions. I will not cover uh, much more. And uh, it's important uh, because we're talking about uh, the end-to-end value chain, the citizen acceptance. Benoit has covered uh, extensively why we as citizens will be willing to drive an EV much more than ICE, but we will be mining in Europe and we have to mine in Europe then we know that mining is about cutting woods, is about uh, putting uh, the white, uh, the yellow machines into the ground uh, to, to mine. This we need to understand that is uh, good for society at large. Maybe the NIMBYs, the not in my backyards, will bitch and moan a bit, but we need to understand that we can also do sustainable mining 
as we've been doing in North, in North Scandinavia for the last 100 years to the benefit of the social communities. So that will be my fifth and last uh, dimension that we'll touch upon. And so can you name a few other interesting companies in this space? Uh, so definitely there are, there are hundreds and, and uh, growing by the day like mushrooms. And I must say that the quality that, is, uh, that we see in a deal flow and uh, outside of our deal flow, it's uh, impressively good. Uh, so uh, I'm amazed that after those 11 years in this business that the quality of uh, uh, the companies that are uh, being either spin, out, spin off from corporates or grown from scratch, like uh, Benoit of the world, Verkhoff's of the world, it's impressive. So some names uh, outside our own portfolio, if I, again, I put some examples across value chain and I want to drive to the audience, the concept of value chain is fundamental. It's not only about your factories, it's about the whole value chain. If you look at the upstream, so mining and processing, then you've got the other maze of the world, the airmates of the world. If you go to the active materials uh, that uh, Benoit described as the ones that are processing the raw materials for being battery grade, then you've got uh, the, yeah, the Janssen Matis. Then in Jekka factories, uh, when you, you have uh, the Vercors, the Norvals, uh, the Elevenese, and good news, it's mainly young entrepreneurs, is not spin-out of uh, existing mammoths in the, corp- in the corporate world. And you go down, down, down in the value chain, then on the application, you've got the forests of the world, uh, you've got the Dalkas of the world. So it's pretty well covered, both from European perspective and from worldwide perspective. Great. So, Benoit, you've managed to set up some quite impressive partnerships with major corporates such as Renault and Schneider Electric. Can you tell us a bit more about Vercor's role in these partnerships? Yeah, um, I think Verco role is to be supported and and and, uh, and accelerated by the partners, not the reverse. So, however, I think for Schneider Electric, um, it's important because you know that uh, they have identified early on that uh, electricity is going to be the the energy vector of the future, and what they are doing operationally speaking to enable overall the global economy to move away from oil and, and coal and to 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 um, to transition to uh, to renewable energy and storage so first of all schneider is a, is a potential customer of course for vercor but they are also a potential supplier and partner to help us trigger the right uh, solutions and the right decisions so as to optimize the production cost of our product they also see vercor as a, a good flagship for them to validate some of the ideas they have to optimize production costs because the uh, gigafactory, battery gigafactory market is, of course, larger than only Vercor, and they are performing fairly well. So for them also, it's a way to make them credible in the sphere and to help us grow and help them grow. We will have soon our Vercor Innovation Center. It will be the flagship, not only for us, but also for them. Same with Capgemini, so as to uh, demonstrate uh, what uh, we are globally capable of leveraging their technologies. Uh, for Renault, I think it's uh, it's it's uh, two sides here again. First of all, uh, Renault is a, is a partner and lead industrial investor into Vercor with the idea to have a fit in the battery manufacturing business. You have to know, your auditors need to know that uh, 40%, roughly 30% of the price of an EV is linked directly to the battery. So uh, it's absolutely criti- crucial for all the b- uh, car manufacturers to be able to have a partner, not only a supplier. We've seen that with Volkswagen investing into Northvolt. We've seen that with Stellantis creating ACC. We've seen that now with few agreements being also signed in the US. Um, but uh, I mean, it's important to understand that in the world of tomorrow, 
the partnership uh, vision is, is absolutely critical because one cannot do everything on its own. Same with what Tesla has been doing early on with Panasonic. Um, so Renault is also a customer, of course. And the reason for that is that uh, they have, want to have in their garden somehow the capability to know what it's about and to be supplied because uh, we don't really see that today, but we see now bits of pieces of that. The market is really too short. There are not enough batteries being produced at the right pace, at the right quality level, with the right ESG criteria to serve the needs of the customers. And this is going uh, to be probably the case for the next decade or so. We've seen that it's a cheap business saying, hey, uh, look at what is happening. Uh, personally, I do believe that uh, we will probably have that also in the next decade or so in, in the battery business. Because there is a, a giant step between making big announcements. You can never say you're going to build like 10, 15 or 100 gigawatt hours. That's something very easy. But then making them really in the factories is, is an industrial journey that uh, cannot happen overnight. And even if there are a few projects launched in Europe, I do feel that the market will be short for, for the years to come. So, Diego, back to you. And um if we take a step back and look at the sort of wider future of the mobility ecosystem, it's not just about uptake of electric vehicles, is it? What um, are some of the other challenges that we need to meet in order to align ourselves with the Paris uh, emissions reductions targets? Well, if uh, we focus only on transport, again, if we put aside uh, the electrification of industry and uh, the electrification of power generation, and we focus on transport, and the, the EV is just a part of a system. And that's the beauty and the challenge of uh, yeah, uh, the energy uh, transition. It is about systems. It's not about subcomponents of, uh, and that will make the trick. So if, if I would be picking three, uh, the first one is, uh, already Berman mentioned it, is that the car, it's uh, a moving a battery that can balance uh, the energy system. And the famous vehicle to grid where uh, the car will not be only uh, being charged with electricity for the grid, but will be restoring electricity and energy to the grid. And it's distributed, uh, which is uh, good in news in terms of the grid management, and will allow us not to, to be obliged to deploy a massive new amount of terawatt-hours of new uh, power generation, but also use the installed 1 million uh, EVs, for example, when EVs will be 100 gigawatt-hours, that you have on wheels that will be able to solve, again, uh, this decarbonization in this case of uh, the uh, uh, power, power generation. A second, and then a second example uh, would be, uh, if we go a bit uh, wider into the city, is the last mile delivery. Today, 90% of the delivery that we are all suffering in the cities, and uh, most of Europeans will be living in cities by 2050, it's uh, made with combustion engines, last mile deliveries. Well, there's a massive small segment that uh, many people have overlooked so far, but that will also uh, create a huge uh, transition, uh, will suffer a huge transition, and will contribute massively to where the contamination happens today, NOx and SOx, uh, that is in the cities. And the third one, if I go a bit uh, um, uh, dreaming, uh, but dreaming it's uh, only eight years away, is to ground all the short-haul flights in uh, downtown Europe, uh, the ones that are less than one and a half hours flight with uh, Hyperloop. Hyperloop, there are already several initiatives. Uh, we've got a couple of them in our portfolio. And uh, you will be able to travel. And I say it's not only cars, but it's also people at 800 kilometers an hour by 2028. 
and uh, by grounding uh, the, the big uh, polluter uh, that is uh, air transport, uh, so by grounding the short haul flights, also there will be contributing to our targets of uh, uh, net zero uh, con uh, continent, but also transforming the way we humans live because you will be able to live uh, in Paris and to work in Berlin because that will take you 30 minutes to make the trajectory. So just to follow up on that, and it's a question that's very interesting to me at least, um, battery-powered aeroplanes, surely we're not far away from being able to replace those short-haul flights with electric flights? Well, today there are already uh, 19-seaters uh, that do uh, 500 kilometers, today commercially offering that service. Again, uh, it's uh, the, the speed uh, that Benoit was saying before, it's incredible. Uh, a full electric plane, a 19-seater, 19-seater is quite a lot eh? already, a 500 kilometers is quite a lot, that is yeah, autonomous to make that journey. Today is commercial. And three years ago was maybe not in any body's dream. Amazing. So Benoit, to wrap things up, if there was one takeaway that um, you could tell our investors to keep in mind about the future of transport, what would it be? Future will be electric. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I would like to reflect just a word. Verca, we have an agreement with a French company named Aura Aero, which recently announced a big, a big deal with uh, with uh, some Norwegian companies exactly in the field of the 19 seeders. So we are developing and working with them on the battery. No, no, no kidding. I mean, future will be electric in transportation, but for a few, a few niche markets. But uh, there is a vast move that we do see now. The market is there. The economics are there. We don't need any any complete disruption in the product. We need disruption in the volume of production. We need responsibility all along the value chain in terms of uh, sustainability. We need circular uh, economy. I think one of the one of the um, the limitations that we do see today is uh, simply that the general public has not tasted what it's about and has no idea and on, only sees the drawbacks and not any of the advantages. So my uh, my take would be uh, give give it a try and and you like it. And Diego, same to you. What what would your takeaway be? My takeaway and the key message to the audience is uh, the pie. The business pie that is in front of you is going to be multiplied by six, seven over the next decade. That's a gradient never seen ever before in any uh, business segment. So it's uh, just to uh, put the money uh, there and because uh, A, uh, it's not about gambling, it's a completely safe bet. Fantastic. That's pretty clear. So before we leave, what's the best way for listeners to keep up to speed on Vercor and EIT Inno Energy? Well, for Verco, we have our website and LinkedIn page. We are recruiting heavily and we are also uh, uh, raising money now. So we'll be able to uh, answer any uh, direct uh, catch up and direct uh, contacts from any of your audience today. Uh, we also are um, doing a little bit of uh, media coverage through news, uh, newspapers and, and uh, various uh, medias. Uh, we are more concentrating our time on uh, an execution. As I said, we'll have a strong announcement in the next few weeks and months. And we'll be more than happy to welcome uh, any of you uh, listening today in our innovation center uh, in uh, in 12 months from, from now, because it will be also open to uh, demonstrate and explain what it's about to build uh, to build our batteries. Yeah, from our side, uh, again, website, uh, innoenergy.com. And uh, I left the ice on the cake for my last uh, sentence. Uh, energy, we have been mandated to run, again, mandated by the Commission to run three industrial value chains, batteries, photovoltaics, and green hydrogen. 
And again, uh, don't forget the end-to-end -end view of value chains. And uh, yeah, energy in front is uh, yeah, the one leading the show. Brilliant. Thank you very much, both of you. Benoit Lemignon, CEO of Vercor, and Diego Pavia, CEO of EIT Inno Energy. Thank you both so much. Please rate, review, and follow One Step Ahead wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Libby Potter. Thanks for listening. One Step Ahead is brought to you by Amundi ETF, the European champion of exchange-traded funds. To learn more about how you can keep your investments ahead of change, visit amundietf.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as investment advice and or an offer to buy financial products. Amundi ETF designates the ETF business of Amundi Asset Management. Amundi Asset Management and its affiliated companies does not in any way endorse or promote any companies or securities mentioned in this episode. The opinions expressed at the time of recording do not necessarily reflect the views of Amundi Asset Management and its affiliated companies and may vary from time to time.